Welcome everyone to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much. Of course. Happy to be back. Me too. So today, Lily Labosh returns to expound on the experience of watching her son succumb to his addiction and how it impacted his life and her family's. Hi, Lily. Welcome back. Hi, Natalie. I'm glad, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. And Continuing. thank you. And it continues to impact our lives, too. Yeah. I just think the reach of his life and the hunger of his soul for relief has definitely impacted me. And I think I said in the last segment that when you left my office, I think I said it to you while you were uh-huh. sitting there, I felt like he was there. I felt his presence. I certainly felt the providence of God at work and felt like you and I had a divine appointment and something absolutely. amazing. Absolutely. I think that is that's definitely a divine appointment. An appointment we both dreaded, by the way. Yes. And I think God and Robert hugged us that day. Yeah, I agree. Can you take us a little bit to what it was to have a teenage boy, right, growing up in an incredibly affluent community with very wealthy parents, a lot of discretionary income, and all of a sudden, just like that, everything changes. And yes. Well, basically, everything changed, and I don't want to, you know, feel sorry because I don't want people to think, oh, well, okay, it's all about money. It's not, a, it, it was about money because this is a child that was raised, like you said, within an affluent neighborhood, an affluent um, community. And all of a sudden, he could not no longer keep up. So a lot of his It was friends, a community, right? It was the friendships, correct. the relationships. Yes. It wasn't yes. the could, money, yes. per se. He yeah. could not keep up now with his friendships that he had since he was a you know, little boy. Like, I'll give an example. One time he said to me, he wanted to go paintballing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but that's something young boys, you know, boys very like expensive. to do. And very expensive. So he said to me... Oh, he's, so I gave him a twenty dollar bill. He said, "Well, what am I going to do that?" He said, "That doesn't. That's not even one round." And he said, "You know, this boy and this boy." And he said, "They got a hundred dollar bill." And he said, "And you give me twenty dollars?" He said, "That you know, that's not going to be much." And I said, that, "That was the best that I could do at the time." So basically, at the end of the day, he could not keep up with his activities, activities, and doing. his friendships that he had, lifelong friendships, mm-hmm. and that's when he started doing other things he dabbled at the beginning i think he was with the wrong crowd he got into a wrong crowd because he couldn't keep up with the ones that were really his friends for all this time and i want to interject a thought because we don't have time to go deep into this but it wasn't keeping up with the material things so much as the the desire and the hunger to continue to build on the friendships and the relationships because Robert was deeper than that. Yes. And I think from the things you told me, I just want to clarify to our listening audience that it wasn't just the stuff and the things and the material things. It was the loss of a dad, the loss of a family, the loss of a community. Yeah, a lot of losses. There was a lot of losses. And kids, of course, part of growing up is having fun and making memories together and doing things. And you're dealing with the shock and the pain. And it was so obvious in that one picture you showed me. There it was, a snapshot. One week, 
the next week. Yeah. And there was this vacuum in his heart, and you could tell that it was like somebody just pulled a rug out from under him. And I wanted to emphasize that point because I think I often hear parents say, oh, they're okay with the divorce. Oh, they get along with both of us. Oh, they love being with both of us. And I'm telling you, I see these people, I see these children, right, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, and it's never okay. Mm-hmm. It was never the best thing that could have happened. It was rare, unless it was severe abuse or you know yes. something drastic, something right? Something like my mother would say. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But overall, the pain of a broken family stays with us for a long time, and that's what Robert tried to navigate. Yes. And looking back, you know, if I knew the ending of my son, I would have stayed in that first marriage because not only did I leave that marriage, I went from bad to worse. And I married again. And when I got into a second marriage, my ex-husband now was not, he was an AA person. So everyone around me thought, well, this is wonderful because he can help your son. Well, that was not the case. If anything, he was super indifferent to my son. And my son definitely felt the rejection from this man. So basically, not only it was very complicated, not only was he rejected by his father, and now he's rejected by this Mm -hmm. stepfather. So I think everyone in his life, and especially men, were really not Mm -hmm. kind or helping him grow. And the hole in his heart grows bigger. Yes, the hole grew bigger. I don't want to speak disparagingly about anyone, including my ex-husband, Addictions are complicated, Addictions are very complicated. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, addictions are definitely running in my family. From what I've been told, that 50% of addictions is a genetic predisposition. And is Rob, that what the latest statistics? That's the latest statistics, and they're saying the other, you know, fifty percent or so is uh, tr- uh, childhood trauma. So basically, Robert had both. Mm-hmm. Wow! Tell us what happened in high school. I know he went from he. They had such. They had incredible access to all kinds of drugs and pills and medications. Tell us a little bit living, about living. Living in Newport Beach, which is an affluent community. I have been told and I have seen firsthand it was so easy to get anything they wanted. They told me they can basically go to Fashion Island and get whatever drug they wanted. How many years ago was this? 90s. Wow. Sometimes in the 90s. So basically you can get any kind of prescription from a doctor, anything they wanted. So 20 years ago they were dispensing like candy. Yes, just like candy. Mm. And as I said before, I had to work. I had no other choice because if I wasn't working, they would not eat. And I never told my family. I'm sure they would have helped me and they would have, want, they would have wanted me to go back to Vancouver. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it on my own. And I wanted to prove to myself that, yes, I can do this and I can do, do better. So I continued to work. And he was left at home. He was left at home, and he'd bring his friends, and, and he got from bad to worse. Went from dabbling in with marijuana, to which was a gateway drug, to harder drugs. And at the end of the day, he was hooked on heroin. Wow. I know he became a pilot. What was the jump from that? He always wanted to fly a plane. That was his dream since the age of two. The day, I mean, when he talked, one of the first words for him was plane he would sit in the backyard look 
in a sky and just point to the planes. And that was always something that he wanted to do. And you made it possible for him to take. Well, he was sober for eight years. You know, he went to AA and he detoxed and it was a long process. And um, he became sober and he's got, he got his pilot's license. And eventually he was hired by American Airlines. Okay, he didn't like working for American Airlines because as young pilots, they really work a lot. His week basically consists consisted of 12 hours a day, a day for six days a week. Yeah, 12 hour days are brutal. Yeah, and that was very brutal for him. And he just said, I, this is not what I want to do. I want to, I still like flying, but I don't want to work for an airline. So he quit and relapsed. I know that as a consequence of your whole life story with just the whole story that we've already discussed, I know that you stopped at nothing and went through great, great pains to love, to support, to encourage, to do everything we do as moms. And that he wasn't a lazy kid. He wanted to do things. He wanted to take care of himself. And I sacrificed everything myself. I wanted him to get there. I wanted to make his dream come true. So flying is super expensive. And I worked and I did whatever it took to get him through. Looking back, when you think about what you learned from that experience of raising him and loving him and just all the decisions you made besides staying married, what would you advise people listening in a similar situation? What would you advise them to do that you would do different today? I think basically pay attention to the changes in your child and friendships. I definitely saw a different group of friends in high school. And I also feel had I not been working the way I was working, because I was working long days and I really was working a lot. And pay attention to what's going on. You wish you would have been a little more present with him. Yes, I wish I was more present with him. And I thought because he never complained that he was all right. And if anything, Mm -hmm. I paid more attention to Melissa because she was very vocal. She complained, she talked, and she and I ended up in counseling, but he and I never did. Yeah. So you kind of knew where she stood on everything. As a matter of fact, she went off to Sweden. Yes, she did. She she went off to Sweden, and she recreated the life that she missed. And Mm -hmm. she got married and has three children and loves living in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And so she basically missed her family life, and she recreated that. And she has a nice family today. Yeah, and Melissa, something important is she connected with Dad shortly before he passed. Yes, she did. After so many years of no, mm-hmm. not knowing where he is or, or, or any contact, Melissa found him. It was There was something in her that yearned for that. And Robert, our little sweet, tender-hearted little guy. He didn't. And I asked him, and he and I had a conversation, and I said, Rob, would you like, why don't you go? I said, you're a pilot. You can fly anywhere. And if, if it's money, I said, I'm here to help. And I said, don't, you know, I really think this would be good for you and important for you to do that. And at the end of the day, he said to me, no, he doesn't deserve that. Mm. So he never went. He started 
dreaming about other businesses. And here's where we kind of come to the conclusion of the story. And you were going to invest in a business with him and cash it out. He's exci- he was excited about it. He was going right, to move forward with it and take us to the end of... Well, basically what, what happened when he quit American Airlines, I was upset because, you know, it took a lot for me to get him through that. And that's basically was his life dream. And I thought that would fix everything, but obviously it didn't. So when he quit, I... Um, he and I had a conversation, and I said to him, I said, I'll help you get into a business so that you can make some money and you can just continue flying privately. He agreed, but he was very conflicted, and he and I had many, many conversations, and he kept saying, you've done so much, you've done so much, I feel so bad. He was feeling guilty for me to invest with in, in him again, and so we had ongoing conversation about this he wanted to do it he was excited to do it but at the same time he felt very guilty that i was going to put more money into his career and at the end of the day he relapsed yeah and that was the day that you were going to go and sign the deal yes for his new business we were going to sign the deal that weekend, and uh, I found him on Thursday. On Thursday? You went to his house? Yes. Because I couldn't reach him, and I went to his house, and I found him, and uh, called Roman. Roman was there. I know that was an absolute horrific day in your life, yet I'm reminded of some things you've said to me that led up to that day that were almost like signs and nudges that something big was happening. Talk about that for a minute. As I said before, he and I were, I was upset with him because of quitting. But for the last couple of months prior to his death, uh, he and I had some amazing conversations. He asked me what happened in my first marriage you know, and I always, he asked me what happened in my second marriage, and he wanted the details, like he was saying, stop treating me like a child, because as a mother, you try to protect children, so you don't tell them everything, but I think for the first time, I was able to be honest with them, and I told them what happened in both situations. We just had so many amazing, amazing conversations. He talked, he told me about this butterfly, which I found very interesting, and in the condo that he had, he said to me, he says, you will not believe this. He said, I sat outside with my neighbor and we watched a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. He said, he said I watched him fly away. And he was like so amazed. And he was captivated, captivated by that. Captivated by that. He was like, oh my gosh. He said, that was so amazing to see that. So besides that, there were a lot of conversations that we had. And this is what he told me. He said... He wasn't a very affectionate, what I mean, affectionate, touchy-feely kind of a guy. Not am I, and I think he get, definitely gets that from me. But he came very close to my face, and he said, said to me, he says, Mother, you don't need money anymore. You need to find someone kind and a man with integrity. I just thought that was wonderful. It is wonderful, and I'll echo that. I agree. You're a really special person. and Yeah, that's what he said. 
that was your son's closing statement, pretty much. His blessing. Yes. I love it. I'm grateful that I have that. In the next segment, we're going to talk, we're going to continue this conversation. And I think we're changing themes, right, Natalie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's going to be about addiction, a banquet in the grave. April is Addiction Awareness Month. So it's going to be a very important conversation. It's interesting because there's one living human being that said that there wasn't any grave that was going to hold him down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of fun that we're going to be talking about this in April. Yes. Not that we planned it, but... No. It's just, <laughs> it's just the way the world is. April yes. is Addiction Awareness Month. And we That's might why. add Robert was a person of faith. So it's going to be a great reunion one day. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. So Lily, for the next segment, segment, I know you have a special guest. We have a special guest, but you brought him to us. Yes. My male BFF and my business partner, Roman. It's going to be wonderful. I can't wait. He's a, he's a lifer. Yeah, he is. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a lifer. So we'll yes. hear from Roman in the next segment. Sounds good. All right, everyone. As I announced before, the next day of rest is on April 2nd at the Villa in Silverado Canyon. We're still only a few weeks away, so don't forget to register on the website. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next Friday. (laughs) 